when we were bringing in senior executives, that whole team, the recruitment team, wanted to be trained on what we're doing in CSR because all the executives were asking too, what are you doing for the environment? What are you doing for your community? Bruno, we've talked to a lot of thought leaders about the future of work. We really have. When we embarked on this line of inquiry, I suspected we would get into things like how technology is impacting the workforce, as we've discussed across the last several episodes. But something a bit unexpected has also risen to the surface. The notion of purpose and how it's become a compelling part of the future of work. I've noticed that too. Nearly every expert we've talked to about work has touched on this. And that's part of what we do here on Future Fluency. Look for patterns and connect the dots to understand how these data points fit together to help us see the bigger picture. And that's exactly what we're doing over the next couple of episodes, taking a deeper dive into this idea of purpose and unpacking what it means for how boards and other business leaders should think about it in the context of strategy and risk. Today, we'll spend some time focusing on the what and the why behind this idea of purpose. And next week, we'll tackle the how, strategies that companies are using to apply this concept at the organizational and employee levels. I'm Bruno Falcon. And I'm Erin Essenmacher, and you're listening to Future Fluency, the podcast where we explore the changing face of America through the lens of innovation and culture and their impact on business, brought to you by the National Association of Corporate Directors. So we're talking about purpose in the context of shifting workforce dynamics, and I can't think of anyone who gets that better than Johnny Taylor. Yes. As the CEO for the Society for Human Resource Management, or SHRM, Johnny has a ringside seat to the data and trends shaping the workforce. I sat down with him to talk about the detail behind the data. And given what we've heard from others in the talent field, no surprise, purpose was front and center. But what was particularly fascinating about Johnny's view is that he started off as a skeptic. When you first hear purpose, and I'm, I'm that guy who, when, when, when I read the articles, you know, maybe three, four years ago and people were talking about purpose, I frankly rolled my eyes. You know, I was like, oh, my God, here's your purpose. You come to work, I pay you. You go home and you buy what you want with what I pay you for. Right? So... <laughs> I mean, to be totally candid, and I think I'm a developed thinker when it comes to this, but I was like, that is ridiculous. Over time, I've come to really appreciate what they mean by this. You know, we, it's not some soft, kind of entitled, um, approach to the world. It's saying that there is something, there's got to be something bigger than just collecting a paycheck. It's not work for the sake of work, and it's not work just for purposes of returning shareholder value, that I've got to get something out of this deal too. Long gone are the days that the employer uh, said, I invest in you because I'm going to get a return on that investment, full stop. We're now seeing that the employees are saying, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got to get something out of this too. This has to be mutually beneficial. Uh, yes, employer, you should get a return on your investment, but because I'm investing my time and my energy in your company, I need to get one as well. And it's not just dollars and cents. It's purpose. I need to know that what I do matters and that it matters not just for me and for you, but in the broader context of community. That evolution is really interesting, and I'm guessing the initial skepticism Johnny felt resonates with a lot of business leaders out there. Indeed, and we'll get into some of that skepticism later in the show. But first, let's take a minute to level set. This concept of purpose can feel a bit squishy and abstract. It would be helpful to get our arms around exactly what we mean when we talk about purpose. 
for me, two conversations in particular jumped to mind when we talk about what purpose means. The first was your chat with David Horsiger. Yes, David is the CEO of the Trust Edge Leadership Institute, a research organization focused on the ways trust, or lack thereof, impact growth and innovation. And more than ever, our, our research would absolutely affirm that people more than ever want to be a part of something that is a purpose beyond themselves. And we see people also trusting organizations that are a part of something bigger than themselves. And this isn't new news, by the way. People have always trusted people that think beyond themselves. People have always trusted people that care beyond themselves. But we're, we're seeing in the research that it's top of mind more than ever before. Give a clear mission and purpose that goes beyond yourself. That is a huge part of retention today. Caring about all stakeholders, more and more people want to work in a place where all stakeholders are cared about, and including, uh, you know, the environment and 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 stakeholders beyond um, the kind of the big three: the 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 client, customers, the employees, and the shareholders, but the world. People care more than ever about others in, in some ways, and that's you know I think a good thing. We'll hear more from David in our next episode when we dig into the how behind fostering purpose at work. For now, let's just say we know the idea starts with the notion that I care about something bigger than myself, bigger than the individual. Whether we're talking about an individual person or an individual corporation, defining something bigger is the key to how companies apply this to their own business. And that really came through in your conversation with Martin Whitaker. Martin is the CEO of Just Capital, whose mission is to help companies improve how they serve all their stakeholders, workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. They measure public sentiment and apply research, rankings, indices, and other data-driven tools to help measure and improve corporate performance in the stakeholder economy. Or put another way, their business model is predicated on using data to link purpose and business outcomes. And Martin helped us further define what we mean when we talk about purpose at work. I think it means different things to different people, but what is common uh, among almost everybody we talk to is, you know, how your work makes you feel, how you feel treated at work. Do you feel as though you're doing work that has meaning? That doesn't mean to say that there are specific things that do and don't have meaning, but to you as an individual, what do you care about? Um, and, you know, do you really feel that sort of core sense of purpose about how you spend most of your waking hours and how you provide for your families and try and build a career and do all the things that lead to real self-fulfillment. Those are basic human motivations. And um, nowadays, you know, focusing on purpose at work is much more possible. If you sort of look back over how companies competed for talent, um, you know, you might say the purpose-relevant issues were less important in the 70s, 80s, 90s. People focused on money, compensation. That's still true. Um, but increasingly, you know, what uh, matters to folks in terms of their, you know, the work that they do, the products that they make and the services that they provide, those things are increasingly tied to sort of societal good, a belief that actually by solving problems around 
social issues and environmental issues. Not only does that give me a heightened sense of purpose, but it's also what's driving business success. It's, you know, these are new markets, exciting growth opportunities. You know, this is sort of how businesses are thinking about their future. So those two things have sort of moved together. I think the thing that's really become more relevant in the last few years is this notion that somehow you had to sort of check your values at the door every day when you came to work, you just focus on your work, you were worried about your sense of engagement or employee engagement. Now we realize those things are actually really crucial to any successful business. Uh, No question. And so, and they'll pay a premium sometimes too. I mean, that's what's fascinating to me. I used to always think price matters and that's traditional business thinking. If you provide a superior product and you can get the price point right, people will buy it. And what we're learning now is people are saying, even if I like what you do, and even if even if it is admittedly the superior product, I'll do something else just because you're not aligned with my purpose. And we talked about Nike early, classic example. You know, their decision to, to uh, run the campaign with Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. There are some people who said, never will buy another pair of Nikes. I'm just not going to do it. So Again, and I'm not saying whether that was a good or bad decision, but it means that consumers are now looking at companies and saying, does this align with me? And you just have to decide who's going to be your consumer. And very much like that, you've got to decide who's going to be your employees because employees are now doing the same thing. We saw in the Wayfair case where, you know, the employees said, I don't want to work for a company that plays any role in dealing with immigrant children and you know, they're being housed by the federal government. Now, again, this is, hear me clearly, I'm not weighing into that debate, not in this conversation, but other than to say customers uh, of Wayfair had to be factored in, but more importantly, employees of Wayfair had to be factored in. Companies being very, very clear about their purpose too. Early on in the recruitment process is critical. Telling employees or prospective employees who you are, what your values are, and, and again, people can say, I don't agree with it, but they've got to at least understand it. And companies have never spent a lot of time on their value statements, their guiding principles, their vision, their mission. We put up this stuff, the words that mean nothing. And now employees are holding you accountable. They're saying, this is part of the deal. I signed up because I believed what you told me you were and what your values were. And if you're not living them, I'm going to leave. And then to your point, and I'm also never going to be your consumer. And worse, I'm going to go out and destroy your employer brand because of social media. I can say a whole bunch of things about you for free (laughs) and people will buy into it. It's just a very different world right now. Bruno, this shift toward purpose is being led by a few intertwining factors. First, a younger generation of workers who have different attitudes, expectations and values they bring to the table. And this all at a time when the workforce itself is shrinking and employers are pressed to create talent strategies that can attract the best and brightest. Sonia Sepabon framed this up well. Our listeners will remember that Sonia is the founder of our office and serves on corporate boards. Here's Sonia. On the human capital side, we've all heard about the generational changes. When I tell people this, sometimes they act surprised, but the millennials became the largest generation in the workforce in 2016 at 35% of the workforce. And by 2025, they will be 75% of the workforce. 
So that's that's huge, right? And we still talk, a lot of us in Gen X and baby boomers, we talk about millennials as they're just coming, but they're here and they're here to stay and their expectations are different. Uh, together with the Gen Z, the Gen Z is already a good percentage of the workforce, about 5 or 6%. So together, Gen Z and millennial populations' expectations are uh, going to shape how we need to manage and be prepared to manage the workforce. 80 to 90% of them, whether they're male, female, uh, straight, gay, you know, whatever race they are, they say that one of their top three criteria for an employer is their diversity and inclusion policies and approach. They want to work for socially responsible companies. They want a purpose. They want to understand the purpose of the organization they're associated with, and they want to identify with that. So I think the human capital part of it that we're used to managing is changing more drastically and faster than we think they are. And it's all for the good. We just need to understand it and change the policies and the processes and the approach and the management and the incentives in a way that matches their needs. And that is good, both for the company and and for them. And Aaron, the data bears this out. Those listeners who were with us at last year's NACD Global Board Leader Summit heard this firsthand, but for those who weren't, a 2018 Pew Research study found that the two youngest generations in the workforce, Gen Z and Millennials, hold views that differ significantly from those of their older counterparts on everything from diversity to climate change to marriage equality and issues around gender. This becomes even more significant when we take into account that millennials are now the largest generation in the workforce. Bruno, Trissa Thompson echoed this point as well. She's the former chief responsibility officer for Dell, where she worked closely at the intersection of profit and purpose. And now as a director at LifeWorks, she understands these issues through a board lens. My conversations with both she and Johnny underscored one interesting point. Millennials may have been the catalyst for this focus on purpose, but it's quickly becoming an expectation of workers across generations. There's a lot of discussion about how important it is for millennials, um, just the, the, the lining the corporate values with their own personal values. And 70% of them, they say, that's one of the key decision factors into the company that they go to. But it was interesting when I was with Dell, we all just thought it was the new people coming in, the college kids and the MBAs. And what we discovered is that when we were bringing in senior executives, that whole team, the recruitment team, wanted to be trained on what we're doing in CSR because all the executives were asking, too, what are you doing for the environment? What are you doing for your community? Millennials have forced us to have this conversation. I actually admire that. You know, too often you hear all the negatives of the millennial generation. But the fact that they have made us get back to the center, again, this concept of something being mutually beneficial. And so we're seeing it play itself out now And frankly, it's having a little bit of a contagion effect because it's not just the millennials now who are talking purpose. I had a 60-plus-year-old employee come to me and say, I'm leaving you to go somewhere else, not because I don't love what I do and I like working with you. She said, I want purpose. And so she left me to take less money, which is, you know, and less of a title. She was, like, directly working with me. And I said, in your new shop, are you going to be directly working with the CEO? No. I said, are you going to get a title change? No. Are you going to get money? And I was shocked because it was like, who does that? Well, the answer is the millennials have changed the entire game. You have to be really careful here to suggest that um, 
you know, people from earlier generations didn't think purpose was important and they wanted to be fulfilled. But it was a, a, a far more narrow focused. It was, I'm going to go spend 30 years. I'm going to provide for myself, my children, make sure they can go to college. And when I leave here, I leave them some form of an inheritance. That was kind of their purpose. And they felt fulfilled if 65, 70, 80 years from now, I left this earth that I made it for the next generation a better place. This generation is thinking very differently. Purpose is climate. Purpose is is equity. Purpose is it's just a much bigger remit. And that's really changed work. Okay. So we have a better sense of what we mean when we talk about purpose and how it connects to social and generational shifts. But what about the business case? We spent a lot of time unpacking this, and what emerged was a compelling narrative on why a focus on purpose should matter to every corporate leader. The first part centers around retention, an issue made even more urgent in the face of a tightening labor market. Here's Johnny again. We know that the millennials and, frankly, Americans stopped having children at the same birth rate since the year 2000. And in 2008, when we hit the the depths of our economic uh, recession, some call a depression, uh, people literally stopped having children because they didn't see a way forward. And so as a result, you know, from 2008 to now 2020, uh, we're realizing we don't have enough human resources, people, for a growing economy. And that has forced us to think very differently. I, I now see that when you get into the heart and mind of an employee, you can retain them longer. Uh, they will work harder for you because it's not just about money they think they're doing. And oftentimes, they'll take less money. So literally, this could actually work out better for the enterprise if you're just smart about it, as opposed to resisting and rolling your eyes every time you hear about purpose. As we've heard across the series, talent and innovation go hand in hand. Said another way, it's nearly impossible to grow if you don't have the right people. So it stands to reason that getting clear on purpose as a retention tool doesn't just feel good. It can drive long-term growth. Right. And there was another important perspective that emerged around the business case for purpose. It's not just employees who care. Other stakeholders care, too. According to a study that Accenture did in 2018 about the rise of purpose-led brands, 62% of consumers want companies to stand up for the issues they're passionate about, and 66% are more likely to buy from brands who have great culture, that is, who do what they say they'll do and deliver on their promises. And investors are starting to care too, which is changing the equation for how companies think about purpose. We'll hear first from Martin and then from Trissa. I think immediately of what Paul Pullman went through at Unilever. I think that point of view is what makes market. So my personal view is that's fine. If activist shareholders want to say, no, we think you should not be investing in communities or not raising wages, quite the opposite. You should be cutting wages and focusing only on short-term shareholder needs. They're quite entitled to that view if that's their uh, strategy, if that's their perspective. But I don't think... um, I think I think if you if you look at this through the through the lens of what is creating value, what is the business case for investing in stakeholders over what period of time, you can make a very strong case for investing across of these different areas. You know, if you're the CEO and you say, what's the best use of of the of my next dollar? Is it should I dividend that back to shareholders or should I raise wages? Sure. If you raise wages, you're 
probably going to take a little hit in the short term. And that's what happened. If you look at the stock price of Walmart and Target and Amazon, you know, they announce wage increases, bang, stock drops. What happens after that in the weeks and months and quarters that follow, it ticks back up. Target has been an absolute tear since it uh, you know, announced that. You can see the chart. It's right there. I sort of feel as though, you know, there, obviously there are many things packed into that, but what the company is saying is, no, we value our workers, we value uh, our employees in the same way that Costco has built a you know, phenomenally successful franchise by actually investing more in workers than its competitors, investing more in communities is surely all the evidence you need that uh, actually this is a formula that can work. Now, it's not a panacea. It's not easy to do. It doesn't mean to say that, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, all I have to do is start to, you know, lift wages and, and give more back to communities and invest more in, in customer service. And all of a sudden my stock price is going to go up and my shareholders are going to be happy. Um, we know we're not naive, but, but I think that this idea that, um, what creates value for shareholders, it's not a zero sum game. You know, if, if, if you have an activist shareholder knocking on your door, the question is, what is it that you think builds value? And I'm in this for the long term. You know, my job is to protect this franchise over, you know, the period of time that I'm at the helm of this company, speaking as a CEO. Um, and I'm going to invest capital uh, the way I think it does that. And I think more and more investors are coming around to the idea that that is in fact the case. But that's not to say that um, activist shareholder activism shouldn't go away. In fact, what's an interesting point of, point of view here is the opposite. What happens? I would love to see the first stakeholder activist investor who comes in to say, our consumers and our customers are making the business case for us, which has been really helpful. And that has changed, by the way, over the last 10 years. When I started in the role, particularly with the giving side, a lot of shareholders said, our you know, profits shouldn't go into the giving side. They really need to come back in, into the business, you know, into the shareholders um, and the good return. But you've seen a complete switch now to the point of 70% of our RFPs had requests for environmental information in them, pretty significant environmental information. We had um, more and more, we're actually seeing environmental factors and your whole CSR program is a weighted factor in, in procurements and RFPs. So I think you're seeing a big change and it's coming from your customer. It's, I think it's, um, well, let me add one more piece. The other piece that's really changing are investors. More and more the investor is the millennial and almost 70% of millennials, and by the way, so this includes all the way around the globe, including Asia, say that they are going to start putting all their investment towards impact investing. And so you're going to see a big change. And bringing us back to the skepticism we discussed at the top of the show, that change that Trissa and all our speakers have described is what is winning people like Johnny over to the importance of purpose. Bruno, I've heard that skepticism expressed by some of the board members I've talked to when I'm at NACD events and the topic comes up. The line of thinking usually goes something like this. This focus on purpose is all well and good until the next recession hits, when the rubber meets the road and people are worried about putting food on the table. Martin had a thoughtful response that really helps root this conversation and why leading with purpose matters if we want to create businesses that thrive now and into the future. If, if you think that focusing on stakeholder performance is only something you do 
when the economy's healthy and all things, you know, it's sunny outside and everything's great, then you, you really have to ask yourself, well, how do we get to that point? You know, does that mean that I can go back to being, you know, a, a Milton Friedman shareholder primacy advocate when the market hits a downturn? I, I don't think so. I, I think you you have to look at these sort of through different cycles and say, okay, what do we stand for? And that is our, uh, that's our North Star. That's how we're going to define our success. And sure, there's going to be, you know, um, there's going to be a need to sort of, you know, look at how those different stakeholder needs change in, in different, you know, parts of the cycle or different, different times. But the core framework shouldn't change. Now, oftentimes people say to me, well, you know, it's all very well and good companies, you know, that are big and already successful starting to look after their stakeholders. Um, but they're not going to do that when company, you know, when times are tough. I sort of feel like if, if, if looking after stakeholders is what's made you successful, um, why would you stop that? Does that mean that you can, you can only be nice when, it's, when the going is good? I just don't, I just don't buy that. You know, I, I don't think anyone who's built a, a lasting, successful company will, will say that. In fact, quite the opposite. I think if you take your eye off the ball in the good times, um, you lose the discipline when you need it most. So I, I, I think it's the opposite. I actually feel as though companies that are really sort of thinking hard about purpose and stakeholder performance will actually weather a downturn much better and come out of it the other side in a much better state than those that don't. And Bruno, isn't that what we're all striving toward in the end? Helping our companies and our society get to a better state. Exactly. And next time we'll pick back up on this thread and dive into some of the strategies and processes behind purpose. So people, people sometimes will talk about the purpose at the annual meeting or they'll talk about it once in a while. If you're not talking about it more than that or sharing it or showing it more than that, then people don't know it. So they're not feeling it. They're not motivated by it or anything else. You have to take action on it. We can tell if you really believe in this purpose by if you're putting money toward it, resources toward it, or time toward it. That's next time on Future Fluency. For guest bios, more resources, and a link to this episode's transcript, check out the show notes or the episode page at nacdonline.org slash podcast. Future Fluency is produced and edited by Bruno Falcon with production support from Carrie Sheehan. Special thanks to Jeanette Woods. Our theme song was composed by Kyle Oppenheimer. Future Fluency is a production of the National Association of Corporate Directors. For more information on NACD or to become a member, please visit nacdonline.org.